Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. I am your host, John Bush, and I'm super excited to be joined today uh, by Dr. Ken Berry. He is uh, an incredible human being and has got some really solid information some controversial information, which shouldn't be whatsoever, just goes to show how strange things are these days. But he wrote this incredible book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. He's a big um, professor of harsh reality, as I like to refer to him. But we're going to be joined by him here for the next 45 minutes. We'll take your questions if you got them in the comments and the chat. Thank you for tuning in on YouTube or Odyssey as well. Uh, Dr. Kenberry will be presenting at the Greater Reset, the Greater Reset for co-creation. You can learn more about that at thegreaterreset.org, thegreaterreset.org. He will be joining us in Texas, which is really exciting. So super excited to have uh, Dr. Barry on the program today. And thank you so much for joining us, everybody. But without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Dr. Kenberry up on the program. How are you, Dr. Barry? I'm doing well. Good to see you again, John. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind just uh, introducing yourself to the audience, mm -hmm. if there's folks out there that hadn't heard of you, and maybe you could share a bit about your origin story, uh, because before you got into all the natural health stuff and you know the proper human diet, as you refer to it, um, you weren't really into this whole health, the natural health thing, at least. You're more of a traditional medical doctor rather than a wise one. So maybe you could share a little bit about your background there. Yeah. When I first started practicing medicine back in 2000, I was 0% interested in diet, nutrition, natural things, any of that. I didn't feel like that served any useful purpose for human health. And in the, over the first few years of my medical practice, I became morbidly obese and pre-diabetic. And so I adopted the American Diabetes Association diet, and it didn't help at all. And that's kind of when I started, I, I kind of uh, stuck my head up out of my foxhole, my rut, and started looking around at other options, other theories, other hypotheses. And I'm a classically trained family physician, went to state university here in Tennessee, uh, trained at a, at a uh, state uh, sanctioned residency program in family medicine. <clears throat> and I've been practicing family medicine for over 20 years now. But when I became a, a severely obese pre-diabetic with a whole long list of other complaints and aches and pains and problems, I started looking around and I'm like, well, I mean, I'm taking the medicine I'm supposed to take. I'm eating the lots of whole grains. I'm drinking the fruit juice smoothies. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm avoiding saturated fat, but I'm just getting fatter and more diabetic. And so in the course of basically trying to heal myself, because being from Tennessee, I'm a country boy and all of my patients were country boys and country girls. And what that means is that common sense always wins the day. And so you don't really want to take your car to a mechanic whose car won't start. And you don't really want to get your hair done by a, a cosmetologist whose hair looks terrible. Common sense, right? And so you also probably don't want to go and take medical or nutrition advice from a fat doctor who's pre-diabetic. And I, would, I remember when I was fat, I would tell people, you need to lose some weight. And their eyes would look down at my button of my shirt right over my belly that was in danger of popping at any minute. And they would say something like, okay, doc, thanks for the advice. And obviously that, that wasn't going to work. There was no therapeutic benefit to my advice if I couldn't even get myself healthy. And so in the process of kind of rediscovering what a proper human diet is, I went through periods of eating paleo, primal, low carb, then keto, and now carnivore. And I've developed what I call a proper human diet spectrum that I think that every human being on the planet can eat somewhere on that spectrum and realize, uh, rediscover the health that they never thought would again be possible. And we've seen this happen in tens of thousands of people now who've adopted a proper human diet. And uh, my message is not only to consumers or eaters, as my friend Joel Salatin likes to call them, but also to producers or farmers or ranchers, is that there are foods out there 
that are part of a proper human diet. And there are other foods out there that are just not part of a proper human diet. They can be occasional treats for your birthday or anniversary, but they are not on the proper human diet spectrum of nutrient dense, low carbohydrate foods that we should be eating on a daily basis. And I kind of had to learn that the hard way. I'm now no longer severely obese, no longer pre-diabetic and all virtually all of those complaints that I used to have, rosacea, dandruff, toenail fungus, uh, severe reflux, heartburn, uh, joint pain, chronic stiffness, aches, pains, edema, all that stuff's much, much better or completely gone now. And indeed, we see that echoed in the people who, who adopt a proper human diet and stick with it for at least 90 days. They notice that a whole host of maladies either improve tremendously or go completely away. That's, that's incredible. And I love hearing stories like that. And um, I've, you know, had the pleasure of hanging out with you in person uh, quite a bit. And you seem like you're in optimal health. You're one of those folks that seems to get in better shape and better health as you age, which is a great thing to do. You know, uh, you had some Eureka moments. Now, now let me ask you this. I have a, a I have a, assumption why, but why do you think it is that medical schools and, and the modern medical industry are just seem to be asked backwards? And, and is it true that in medical school, they hardly teach nutrition at all? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Some medical schools do not have a single class about nutrition at all. Wow. <clears throat> I was fortunate. I had uh, one half of a semester of nutrition in my second year of medical school. So for half the semester, we were taught behavioral science and half the semester, it was nutrition. And so that kind of, I think that kind of gives you some insight into just how important uh, the medical school curriculum advisors thought nutrition and behavioral health were. They didn't think it was very important at all because we got 10 times that much education on anatomy and physiology, cell and molecular biology, uh, pathology, pathophysiology, and those things are definitely important, but nutrition should be one of the main things talked about in medical school for every single doctor. And I think where doctors and other healthcare providers get it so wrong is that, and, and this is, uh, when I first say this, it, it sounds disrespectful or it sounds harsh, but doctors and dietitians and nutritionists and PAs and nurse practitioners they're just dudes and chicks, just like you and I. And they are susceptible to all the errors in logic, all of the fallacies of, of human reasoning. They are just as susceptible to those things as you as you are, regardless of your profession, your truck driver, <coughs> waitress, whatever. There are a list of logical fallacies and a list of errors in, in thinking that we're all susceptible to. But some of the errors are actually more educated, and I won't say more intelligent, I'll say more educated, more formally educated people are more susceptible to certain fallacies. And one of the main fallacies that educated people are susceptible to is the, is the appeal to authority or uh, kind of bowing down to authority. So in medical school, you would never dream as a medical student of questioning your professor. Wouldn't even occur to you. It, would, it could be potentially suicidal to do that. You, you look at those people as the end-all, be-all. They are the preeminent authorities. They know everything, and you know nothing. That's kind of how you go into medical school. And many doctors carry that with them for the rest of their career. And so never would they take the opinion, even if it were backed up by reams of research by a YouTube doctor or by some doctor posting on Twitter or, who you know, a Rumble video or an Odyssey video, they're not going to listen to that. They're going to listen to what the Harvard School of Public Health says. They're going to listen to what the American Diabetes Association, the American Heart Association. They're looking up to authorities. And the truth is that should be a, a very safe way to practice medicine. They, they should be giving us good information kind of from the top down. But for the last 50 years or so, because of several fallacious hypotheses that were accepted as fact, it has, it's completely driven both schools of nutrition, dietitians, and medicine off the rails. And so we're, if you fall off the roof or you get hit by a bus, you 100% need to seek 
medical care in a medical institution, a hospital. You need trauma surgeons. You need maybe need an endocrinologist. You need a all these specialties. But if if what you're suffering from is a chronic disease, a chronic non-communicable disease, uh, some people call these diseases of the modern society, like type two diabetes, prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, fatty liver, obesity, severe obesity, uh, and and increasingly a long list of medical diagnose or uh, mental health diagnoses. Your doctor, who you trust and look up to, is probably not going to be able to help you to reverse that condition because they have one tool in their toolbox, and that's their prescription pad. And as long as they're prescribing you pharmaceuticals that are FDA approved, they're never going to be able to reverse or cure that chronic non-communicable medical disease ever. The drugs aren't designed to do that. So you could literally be taking five prescription pills and two prescription injections for your type two diabetes. And those things may lower your blood sugar a little. They may lower your hemoglobin A1C a little, but they are never going to reverse your type two diabetes. They're not designed to do that. And indeed the profit model for the, the multi-billion dollar multinational pharmaceutical houses, their business model is not to reverse disease. Their, their model is to treat chronic disease. That way they've got a lifelong customer. And many doctors don't see it that way. And this is all about the paradigm of the doctor. As long as you look up to the AHA and the ADA and the AMA, and you get all your information from them, all that's coming from the big pharmaceutical houses, effectively. You're never going to be able to tell a patient, hey, I can reverse your obesity. I can reverse your type 2 diabetes. I can reverse your fatty liver. You would never say those words because it, you can't do it because you currently don't have the tools to do that because the prescription pad is often the only tool a doctor has. And it's also a completely by design ineffective tool for reversing these diseases of modern society. Right on. Well said. Well said. If you're just joining us, watching on Odyssey or YouTube or Facebook, we're chatting with Dr. Ken Berry, MD. He will be presenting at the Greater Reset for co-creation, which is taking place January 18th through the 22nd. I invite you to check out more about the event at livefree.academy slash TGR, livefree.academy slash TGR. He'll be joining us in person for the Texas event. So definitely uh, give that a look. Let me pull something up here and I want to get your insights on it. And I'm sure it's one of your favorite images out there. This is, of course, the food pyramid for the podcast audience. Can you just tell us a little bit what comes to mind and maybe why this was pushed as the conventional wisdom for so long? It still is to this day. Yeah. So the, the U.S. federal government has had its fingers in nutrition for a long time. And if anybody's ever done much research into this, uh, you know, we now have four primary food groups. And a lot of people think that's based on science, but people don't understand at one time there were five food groups. At one time there were seven food groups. This is a completely arbitrary classification of foods. In reality, there are no food groups whatsoever. We can roughly conglomerate different foods into what appears to be a meaningful framework of food groups, but that's irrelevant. That means nothing, okay? And so the, the food pyramid, there are a couple of excellent uh, books written about where this came from. There's a lot of YouTube videos. I talk about this on several of my YouTube videos, but the food pyramid is, is actually came, came up uh, with initially by the USDA, uh, which is um, really has no business talking about food whatsoever because they represent big farmers, big farmers, big farming corporations. That's who they represent. Put that, put that back up, John, if you don't mind, uh, because I want people to see this as we go through it. So we're all taught from a very young age that whole grain bread is the staff of life, is just mandatory that your diet should be built on that foundation and there's zero research to support that or back that up. And so one of the rabbit holes that my research into a proper human diet took me down was anthropology and paleoanthropology. And so we, when you start looking at 
human nutrition and the human diet through that lens, you realize very quickly that we've only been eating bread for a very short period of time on the planet. Uh, for 99.5 or 6% of our time on this planet as homo sapiens sapiens, that's human beings, we didn't eat any bread at all. We might eat some scattered grains that we found if we were starving to death, but never did, did bread, wheat, rice, oats, corn, amaranth, millet, quinoa, none of that stuff made up more than 1% of the human diet for 99.5% of our time on this planet. So why is it now the foundation of the food pyramid? You should eat more servings of that than anything else. Well, it turns out that wheat, rice, oat, corn farmers had tons of input. So basically when the USDA came up with the food pyramid, they sent it to a bunch of farming organizations and said, what do you think about this? And they only had maybe three to five servings of, of whole grain foods in there to start with. And all of, guess what? All the wheat farmers and rice and oat and corn farmers said, oh no, you need to have more grains in there than that. And so they uh, bumped it up to six to 11 servings just based on what the producers of wheat thought they should do. Uh, same goes for fruit and vegetables, uh, fruits and vegetables. We've always eaten those as, hum as human beings, but never did it make up a third or a half of our diet like we're, it's recommended now. We ate fruit when it was in season. And for the other 11 months of the year, we didn't eat any of that fruit. But now that we can ship fruit on refrigerated cargo ships and trucks, now we always have access to this fruit like it's always autumn but it's not always autumn in the real world. And our DNA is not used to having access to these high levels of carbohydrates, sugars, and fructose year round. That's not part of a proper human diet. And so uh, in going down that, that rabbit hole of anthropology and paleoanthropology, it actually <clears throat> revealed to me how important regenerative agriculture is to the overall healthy diet of humanity and the health of humanity as a whole. And so much so that Nisha and I now, we now own a regenerative ranch and farm and, and we raise our own animals and our own uh, vegetables. And, and we've got berry trees and apple trees and pear trees and we eat those in season. But for the other 11 and a half months out of the year, we don't eat any of that, but we have access to sheep year round, cattle year round and quail, quail eggs year round, chicken, chicken eggs year round. And so we do eat that year round. And I think a lot of people, once, once you start to think about this, you realize that the meat and fish section of this should be, a, that should be the base because that's what humanity ate as much of as they could get their hands on for 99.5% of our time on planet earth. Uh, meat, dairy, and cheese. We've only been eating uh, dairy in the form of cheese and fermented uh, dairy and actually drinking milk for about eight or 9,000 years. So for 99% of our time on this planet, 99 and a half percent, we didn't, we never drank the milk of any mammal except for one, our mother, when we were an infant and a, and a baby and a toddler. And as soon as we were weaned off the breast milk for 99.5% of our time on this planet, we never drink milk again for the rest of our life. But the dairy uh, council, right, the dairy uh, lobbyists have made it very, oh, you have to drink milk every day. And as a child, I think that's probably true. But as an adult, you never need to drink milk or eat any dairy product ever again for the rest of your life. Uh, and then at the, at the top, fats, oils, and confectionery. And what they do is they lump in healthy animal fats like beef tallow, lard, uh, and other healthy animal fats, egg yolks and butter, they lump that in with all the unhealthy fats. And they also lump it in with dessert. They lump it in with candy and pastries, which is completely anti-ancestral because for 99.5% of our time on this planet, we ate as much fatty meat, as much fat from animals as we could get our hands on as often as we could. But now they've got it up at the top where you should just limit that. And they also confuse you by lumping it with canola oil and sunflower oil, soybean oil, peanut oil, corn oil, cottonseed oil. Well, animal fats are very, very different from vegetable seed oils. And But from looking at this chart, you this chart literally gives you no insight whatsoever as to a proper human diet and what human beings should eat. 
<coughs> this chart is made up rubbish based on the profits of grain farmers and the USDA and then other inputs that really are not based on what have human beings eaten for the last few millennia. Yeah, it's basically just a big giant scam. And unfortunately, the government has so much influence over so many people, industries. And as somebody pointed out, uh, Wild Blue Whippets watching on YouTube, we were taught this food pyramid crap from kindergarten on. So they get the youngsters, you know, myself included, at a very young age. And people are just, they're just raised to believe this is how we ought to eat. Let me ask you a question. Um, what do you think it is about you? and the folks that we run with that enabled you to see past the indoctrination to go through that uncomfortable phase of awakening, so to speak, because there's a lot of doctors that are overweight or pre-diabetic and they just stick to what they learned in medical school. But there's yep. something unique about certain people that allows them to kind of see through the BS. Do you have any insight on that? Maybe, maybe. Uh, so I, I tend to be an early adapter of new things and a proper human diet is not a new thing. It's actually the oldest diet on the planet for human beings, but it feels like a new thing. And so when I was becoming a severely obese pre-diabetic, I was never, and I think a second thing is I was, I was an early adapter, but also I'm never really satisfied with mediocrity. I don't want to just be average and, and I also want to always make sense. And I always want to be able to back up what I say. And I couldn't do that as a fat doctor. I couldn't tell people, to lose. you need to lose a few pounds, Bubba. And they would just look at me and I could hear them laughing in their head like, dude, what are you talking about? You're fat as a, a mud pig. What are you telling me to lose weight for? And so just that incongruity, I, I was not okay with that at all. So things need to make sense. And so I kind of started saying, well, a proper human diet really should be based on common sense. It should be based on meaningful research. And it should be based on what we've done for the lo longest amount of time as human beings on this planet. And immediately, if you apply those three metrics to the food pyramid or to, to, to the recommendations from the ADA, AHA, AMA, anybody, World Health Organization, you immediately go, well, that don't, that doesn't make any sense. What they're saying they're basically saying, oh, you should eat all these vegetable seed oils that human beings have only been eating for the last hundred years. And you should just eat all these fruits daily, multiple servings of fruits and vegetables. But humans didn't have access to that for 11 and a half months out of the year. OK, uh, and so really it, it hearkens to a belief in just a blind belief in modern. What's modern? What's scientific? What's the newest discovery? That's what must be the best. And in many cases, that is true. Like if you if you want a cell phone, you need to get the latest and greatest because it does more than the older models. Yes, that's true. If you if you want a really awesome car or truck, you probably need to buy the latest model because it's going to have most bells and whistles. But when it comes to the air we breathe. That should be ancient air. When it comes to the water we drink, that should be ancient and pure water. When it comes to the food that we eat, which is just as bedrock solid foundational for your health as, as breathing clean air and drinking clean water, you should eat an ancient diet. You should mimic our ancestors as far as getting sunlight, as far as getting good sleep and pitch darkness, all these things, we're still homo sapiens sapiens. If I were able to transport you in a time machine back 250,000 years ago and, and, and let you not bathe for a couple of weeks and let your stubble grow out, though our ancestors back then wouldn't be able to tell you, you wouldn't look different. You would look exactly the same. Or if we were able to transport one of them to the future and give them a bath and shave them and put some modern clothes, they literally are the same species as we are right now. So it, it kind of becomes a common sense problem. If you say, well, okay, they were here a long damn time and they ate this set of foods and they never ate this other set of foods. And other than trauma and infection, they live relatively long lives. And there's a myth out there. They only live, they, you know, they're, they, they died very early. Well, if you take out childbirth mortality, if you take out trauma and you take out infectious disease, which modern society has allowed us to take out of the equation, 
They live for just as long as we do now. And they had better teeth. They were taller. They were, they were more fit. And they could 100% kick any of our asses without question in any of multiple fields. Once you would give them access to the education we have, they would run circles around any of us. So how do you, at that point, it becomes just incongruous. Like this doesn't make any sense. These people were taller. They had better teeth. They had stronger bones. They had stronger muscles. They had bigger brain capacity. But then about 12,000 years ago, when we started farming grains and basically the majority of our diet switched from being fatty red meat to being grains and beans and legumes, we got shorter. We got sicker. Our teeth just went to shit. Our dental health, and we can tell this from the from the fossil record, our bones got weaker, our muscles got weaker. We had smaller brains. That none of that sounds good, but that all happened, and this is documented in the in the fossil evidence when we started eating predominantly what the food pyramid now shows that we should eat. When we started eating that way, we got sicker and weaker, and probably not quite as smart as back when we were hunters and sometimes gatherers. Yeah, it, it's just weird. It's, it's backwards. And I appreciate that um, you pointed out that really it's a return to the old way. And, and it's yeah. funny, like conventional food is the food that's yeah. And a lot of people food. take that to an illogical conclusion, John. They'll say, oh, so you think we should all go live in the caves and run around uh, naked? And it's like, no, moron, nobody's saying that. <laughs> I just showed man. you my iPhone 14 or whatever. I'm, I love modern society. I love being, I love the high speed internet. I love all that stuff. And I use those things as tools. But when it comes to the air you breathe and the water you drink and the food you eat and the sleep you get and the exposure to the elements and sunlight, those things are hardwired into your DNA. We have not evolved enough as a species to not need those things anymore. That's, that's, foolish to even intimate that we we don't oh we we're a modern species now no dumbass you're the literal same exact species as 300,000 years ago you still need those things you can live a modern life and you can have a brand new shirt and you can take a bath every day and you can shave your butt or whatever you do but you still have to honor this ancient dna mm -hmm. now maybe 5 or 10,000 years from now john we will have evolved enough that we can be pretty healthy on a plant-based, grain-based diet. But that time ain't now. We are not that species yet, maybe 50,000 years from now, but not now. And so, yes, enjoy a modern life and all the accoutrement that comes with that. But when it comes to the air you breathe, the water you drink, the food you eat, the sleep you get, all those things, you have to honor your ancient DNA or your health will suffer full stop. Right on. Seems so simple, but it's really hard for folks to get. There's all these guilty pleasures, of course, with food and stuff. So um, we're going to go to your questions, folks. If you have questions, ask them in all caps. We have Dr. Barry for just about 15 more minutes. Uh, but let me ask a question first. And then uh, again, ask all caps in the Odyssey chat or there on YouTube. We'll be sure to get your questions. I see there's already a couple that we've received. So I'm gluten free, right? And some would say maybe everybody should be gluten-free. Whenever I eat uh, gluten, I discovered it actually after going keto for 30 days, really consistent. And then we started adding stuff back, right? And I added back a wheat beer and felt absolutely terrible after one beer. I felt like I was completely hungover. But yep. whenever I have gluten, because I'll still have fried food here and there, um, or like tres leches cake, I'll have a little slither of it uh, you yep. know, for Christmas. It's good. You know, my face gets red and inflamed right here and yep. I feel groggy and my nose gets a little bit stuffy. So can you break down like exactly what's going on inside my body or other yep. folks' bodies when they have these inflammatory foods? Yep. And and see, for some people, they they feeling miserable and inflamed. That's their baseline because they eat these foods every day, right? And so I love it that you did a, a keto challenge where you basically lived on meat and eggs and veg and a few nuts and a few berries for 30, 60, 90 days, because that gets all the grains out of your diet. And many people are on their radar is gluten. Maybe it's gluten, right? Which is good because I do think every adult human on the planet has some degree of gluten sensitivity. What a, <coughs> I'm sorry, what a lot of people don't realize is that every grain without exception 
has a gluten-like protein molecule in it. In corn, it's called zen. In every grain, there are inflammatory proteins, just like gluten and gliadin, in every grain on the planet, even the ancient grains like emmer and einkorn, because I always get a question about that. Well, that's the problem. We're eating modern GMO wheat. No, it's, that's that may be worse than ancient grains, but it's it's not good enough to be better. And so even the ancient grains contain these anti-nutrients is what some people call it. That's number one. Number two is many people think if I eat a food and I don't develop an overt allergic reaction right? Hives and can't breathe. Then I can eat that food. It's fine. But only when you've done either a carnivore challenge or a keto challenge for 30, 60, 90 days. And basically it's a, it's a detox and it's an elimination diet. And so you don't eat any grains for 30, 60, 90 days. Then your body, the, the chronic inappropriate inflammation that you just thought was normal is so much better that when you do reintroduce one of those grains, your body is able finally to give you immediate feedback. And you're like, holy crap. So many people suffering from chronic rhinitis, rosacea, eczema, psoriasis. When they just eliminate all the grains, it gets so much better. They're like, holy crap. How does my doctor not know about this? Because first of all, this is free. There's no copay, no prior authorization. I don't have to stand in the pharmacy line for an hour to get this, I just stop eating grains. There's still a million other delicious foods I can eat, but I feel so much better. And, and a lot of people don't have an overt allergic reaction to grains, but they will have subtle nasal congestion or subtle skin problems or subtle mental problems. They'll get foggy, get a little down in the dumps. And they, they feel like that's their normal, John, until they eliminate all that stuff for at least 30, but preferably 90 days. And that's one of the beautiful things about a ketogenic diet or a ketovore diet or a carnivore diet is you eliminate a whole ton of shit for a period of time. And then so your body's so much less inflamed and so much healthier after that elimination challenge. And when you reintroduce those things, you're like, holy crap, I had no idea. And so I love I love that you did that. And I love that you discovered that. And what you're going to discover after you do another challenge and eliminate all grain and all beans and all legumes is that your which now feels like your normal baseline health is going to get even better so i'm excited for you to try that john and do 90 days of a carnivore diet and then start to reintroduce some of the plants that you thought how the hell is kale not healthy what maybe it is for you but maybe it's not and there are many people who have the same reaction, not only to grains, but to liquid dairy. A lot of people think raw milk is a gift from the creator. And it is if you're under six years of age. But after that, you lose the lactase persistence and you become more sensitive to the casein and the ways in the, in the liquid dairy. But if you're drinking it every day, you don't know. It's like an alcoholic drinking a gallon of whiskey a day. If you say, hey, stop drinking beer, he, he does that. He's like, I feel the same. That didn't help me at all. But if you detox that alcoholic for 90 days and then say, here, drink a beer, immediately that alcoholic can feel the beer and go, oh, crap. Yeah, I need to avoid that. But that's the same way we are. If we're following the, the food plate or the food pyramid or some plant-based dogma, you don't know how good you could feel because you think your current level of misery is baseline healthy for you. And it's not. Yeah, that's pretty fundamental. It makes a huge difference. A lot of people just aren't aware the status quo for most people is sluggish and unhealthy and just slow mentally, too. So, yeah, I, I, I've, we've been uh, following Texas Slim and the Beef Initiative and getting a lot of steaks and stuff down here. So I am definitely want to do the full on carnivore and see how that goes. It's not the hardest diet to eat a steak nope. or some ground beef every night. It's actually quite the privilege. All right, let's go to some questions here. We got Prepper Professor on Odyssey. He says, can ketovore help with high blood pressure? Doctors, families are all saying low sodium fat and statins. Yeah, and so that, that conventional advice is foolishness based on observational research. That's not based on randomized controlled trials. And, and you got, hopefully got a professor in your name for a, a valid reason. 
you don't know what I mean by the difference between a randomized control trial and just an observational cohort study. One can actually prove something, the other one cannot. And so if you're eating a high carb, highly processed junk food diet, then eliminating or cutting back on salt might actually help you. But when we look at this through the ancestral lens, we realize that every mammal on the planet ingests as much salt as they want every single day. And hunt the hunters listening to this will be like, oh, yeah, the deer all know where a salt lick is. And actually, you can set up your deer stand over a salt lick and you're going to get lucky because all the deer come to lick that mud or lick that rock. <clears throat> Some hunters cheat by putting out a salt block that they bought at co-op because they know the deer will come and lick that. And it's not because the deer are gluttons or idiots. It's because as a mammal, they need that salt every single day. And so essential hypertension or essential high blood pressure, that, that's the most common. That's 90% of cases, if not more. And the word essential means in medical speak, you just got it. We don't know why. Okay. It could be genetic, could be who knows. Maybe you're eating too much salt and too much saturated fat. But many people eliminate salt almost completely from their diet and saturated fat. And their blood pressure maybe gets two points better. And they're like, okay, I guess I just have, I have high blood pressure. I just have to take these two or three or four pills every day. But when you adopt a very low carbohydrate diet like keto or ketovore or carnivore, what that does is it decreases the amount of sugar that you're eating every day. And, and so sugar, yes, as just pure sugar, but also starches. Vegetables are full of starches. Grains are full of starches. What is a starch? A starch is just a long chain of sugars holding hands. And you have a, an enzyme in your mouth called amylase. As soon as you start to chew up that whole grain bread or that potato or that yucca or that yam, immediately it starts to break down into sugar. So when you're when you ingest sugar, your blood sugar goes up. And to, to accommodate that and get rid of it as quickly as possible, your insulin level goes up. Now, if you're eating this several times a day, every single day, then your insulin level is going to be high all the time. And doctors don't check fasting insulin levels, so they're blind to that. And so what happens when you adopt a keto or a carnivore diet is that you start eating a lot less sugar and starch. And your blood sugar goes back to very low normal levels. This is why it reverses type 2 diabetes and prediabetes. But when your insulin level returns to low normal because your body no longer needs that high level to deal with the amount of sugar and starches you're eating, you have what's called diuresis. And so you'll pee out anywhere from five to 25 pounds of unhealthy water that you'd been storing because your insulin was chronically high. And indeed, when people do the keto challenge or carnivore challenge, the first week, they'll have a stupid amount of weight loss. That's not fat. You're not burning fat that fast. But you are allowing your body to urinate away all that unhealthy water that you were holding that was making your heart work harder and was raising your blood pressure. And many people after a few weeks or a few months of keto or carnivore, they've got to stop their blood pressure medicines because their blood pressure is getting dangerously low to the point that where they stand up, they're getting lightheaded. And so the vast majority of hypertension is not caused by salt or saturated fat in your diet. This is ignorance. It's caused by chronic hyperinsulinemia. And when you stop eating the carbs, your insulin levels able to come back to normal. You diurese out the fluid, your blood pressure comes back at least closer to normal, if not completely normal. And many people have been able to stop three or four blood pressure medications, and they either wind up taking no blood pressure medication at all, or they're taking a low dose of one blood pressure pill to keep their blood pressure perfect on a keto or a carnivore diet. Right on. Thanks for that. Uh, here we go. Wild Blue Whippet says, are you okay with blueberries season? <clears throat> yeah. And so all of the plant foods are basically, you need to look at them as starvation foods or poverty foods. So if, if you and I, John, if we were stuck on some military op and we were just stuck and we, we had no access to meat and eggs whatsoever, all we had was just bags and bags and cans and cans of rice and beans and wheat. We should eat that to keep from starving to death. Okay. Now, the reason that fruits and berries get ripe in the autumn is so that we can eat them and spread their seeds. But we can also put on five or 10 or 15 pounds of fat because winter's coming. 
right? Now, 100,000 years ago, that, that was the difference between life or death. You needed to put on that 5 to 20 pounds of autumnal fat in case the winter was harsh and you couldn't make any kills. You didn't starve to death because you could live on that stored fat. But now, effectively, in modern society, it's never winter, right? Even if it's winter, we still got our refrigerator. We still got our deep freeze. We still got the pantry. We still got the grocery store right up the road. It's never truly winter in modern society in the traditional sense that food is very, very scarce and you risk losing a finger if you stay outside too long, right? And so I, we have blueberry bushes on the farm. We have a pear tree, a plum tree. Uh, I, I've got plants planted all over this place, persimmon trees. For, and so primarily they're going to be for the animals to eat because there's not, there's not, there's almost nothing like persimmon finished pork or persimmon finished lamb. It's divine. Okay. Cause it helps them gain fat just like it does us. But in a starvation situation, John, my family would 100% eat all that. We would eat all the plants after we eat, ate up all the animals. Right. So it's a fallback food for me. It's not a primary food. So when the blueberries are ripe, Beckett and I, my three and three and a half year old, will absolutely go up there and we'll we'll clean the blueberry bushes during the two weeks that blueberries are available. And for the rest of the year, we won't eat any blueberries at all. Now, I don't think that serves a purpose in modern society other than it's just pleasurable. They taste freaking amazing, right? And I love watching my my toddler go up there in his in his you know his underwear and barefoot and clean the blueberry bushes. It, it's just, it's a, it's a source of great joy for me to watch him every morning, get up and say, can we go check the blueberries? I'm like, yeah, let's go. But I don't think that's serving any need needed nutritional purpose in him. That, that's just an occasional treat, but that could become very important if we ever had a, a terrible shit hit the fan situation and all the trucks stopped running, we would need those blueberries and persimmons to put on that five to 10 pounds of fat for the winter. That makes sense. And so, yeah, we do eat occasional things. I, every now and then I'll have a teaspoon of honey in a coffee. Every now and then I'll have something like that for my birthday and for Christmas and my anniversary. I'm going to have some cheesecake or some tres leches, right? Yeah. Freaking divine. Yeah. But on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, I'm not going to eat any of that because if I eat that too often, it's going to lead to metabolic disease because my body is not designed to eat that stuff on a daily basis and nor is yours. Right on. It all makes sense. Okay. We just have a couple minutes left together. So uh, if we could do these last questions, rapid fire, we'll be able to get through a few here. So Carol Moody says, how does this way of eating impact a poorly functioning lymphatic system? Yeah. Very often a poorly functioning lymphatic system. This could be lymphedema or several other things. Part of the cause of it, maybe not all of the cause, but part of the cause is chronic inappropriate inflammation. The lymphatic drainage vessels, which many people don't even know we have, that's the other way that, that fluid gets back to the heart. They're very thin-walled and very floppy and very fragile. And so if there's any inflammation whatsoever, they just close off. And then you mm -hmm. wind up having tons of edema, either in one limb or, or, or several limbs. And when you reduce the chronic inappropriate inflammation, which is another thing that a proper human diet does, your lymphatic drainage flows much better. Maybe not perfect, but at least much better than when you're eating a highly carbohydrate diet. Right on. Okay. Uh, Wild Blue Whippet says, salt from the sea. Do you have a favorite brand? Yeah, I, I, I think we should all eat salt from the sea, but it should not be the modern ocean because it's full of microplastics and nanoplastics. It's full of Fukushima and Chernobyl, right? I don't want that. I only eat sea salt, but it's, sea, it's, it's salt from an ancient sea, okay? So the salt that I love is, is Redmond's, real salt. That's uh, mined in Utah. It comes from 450 feet under the ground. There's a 30-foot cap of bentonite clay on top of it. That was from a pristine ocean from millions of years ago that was never exposed to the plastics and the radiation and the other junk in our modern oceans, right? Uh, our modern oceans are so bad that, I, that I, I actually limit seafood to small fish that haven't eaten a lot of other fish that have, and therefore built up mercury and other, other toxins. 
I don't eat big swordfish anymore and humongous tuna. I only eat small fish out of the ocean because they haven't had time to, to magnify that stuff. And so there are several different brands of salt. Uh, and, and on every continent of the earth, John, there is an ancient salt mine. So if you live in Europe or Asia, you should eat real Himalayan sea salt. But be careful because a lot of it is just junk, evaporated modern ocean salt with some pink food coloring. And you don't know if that's what it is or not because it's mined in Pakistan. And and a lot of people in Pakistan Pakistan don't really love Americans. And so who, who the hell knows what's in your salt? But I would say get salt from your own continent and get salt that's mined from deep underground and eat some salt every day. Salt every meal to your taste. That's the evolutionary way we know we're getting enough salt. Hmm. Also, it's how we know if we're getting too much salt, John, because if you put too much salt on your steak, you're going to be like, I can't eat it. It's too salty. That means that's too much salt. If your steak doesn't have enough salt, that means you need to add more salt. Right on. Yep. Listen to your body. It, it knows what's best. Um, uh, one more question. What's a good food for memory? Yeah. So, this is a good question, and there's, but there's two ways of looking at every question like this. First of all, what is a, what are good foods for memory? But probably the more important question, John, is what foods should I eliminate mm. to stop hampering my memory? This is very important. And so the vast majority of it, my answer is going to be, what foods should you eliminate to stop crippling your brain and stop hampering your memory and stop slowing down your mental capacity? And that's all the things you'll eliminate on a real whole food ketogenic diet or carnivore diet. Now, with that being said, and that's the most important part of this answer. So don't don't gloss over that. All you guys, that's the most important part of this answer. Now, the second part of this answer, much less important, is you should optimize foods that are very rich in omega-3 fatty acids. And you should make sure you're getting enough vitamin D and enough iodine in your diet, either from foods and I have YouTube videos about what foods are richest in iodine, which foods are richest in omega-3 fatty acids, what foods are richest in zinc and selenium and all these others, because that, that is important. And so you want a lot of omega-3 fatty acids in your diet. You get this from egg yolks, from fat of properly raised animals, and then also the small cold water seafood fish uh, that I talk about in that video. But it, don't focus so much on what should I add to my diet because that can lead you astray. Cause if you're eating, if you're eating a diet composed, of, uh, composed of Pepsi Cola, jelly donuts, right. And Doritos, and you add some omega-3 rich foods to your diet, <clears throat> you're not going to notice any improvement whatsoever. And that's why the, a lot of the omega-3 research winds up not showing any improvement is because you're still eating all that other shit. Stop eating that stuff that is literally shackling your brain's ability to function. And eat omega-3 rich foods and make sure you're getting enough zinc, selenium, uh, iodine, vitamin D. Your brain's going to function at its optimal level. Excellent. Okay, great, great. All right, well, before we let you go, we have the Greater Reset for co-creation coming up January 18th through the 22nd. You'll be presenting in Texas. Why do you think it's important for people to join us there in person? Well, I think it's very important because I think it's become very obvious to most of your listeners that we can't, we can't trust the information that we're getting from governmental agencies. We can't trust mainstream media to give us proper answers anymore. And I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't buy into the conspiracy theories. I think it's, I think it's a conspiracy of stupidity and laziness. I think that's what the majority of the problem is. And people love profits in many cases more than they love their fellow man. So when you combine those three things together, you get a system like we're basically living in right now. And so I think it's time for a lot of people so you can still check in with mainstream media, but you don't ever blindly believe what they say ever again. You got to start looking outside of your normal paradigm and your normal box. You've got to start reading and, and actually listening to books on tape. You've got to start going to these conferences because at this conference, I think you're going to learn how to properly raise animals. Are you not? And you're going to learn what a proper human diet actually is. And in that, that perfect nexus, that perfect marriage of a proper human diet and a proper human life and how to properly raise animals and how to properly take care of the soil that you walk on with your feet every day, hopefully barefoot sometimes, hmm. that when you, when you marry all those things together, that 
is where a proper human diet with your best physical health, your best mental health, the best odds for your offspring, your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren to prosper. That's where it's going to come from in a sustainable, regenerative way. You might jump on the latest financial trend, you know, Bitcoin or whatever. You might make a million bucks, but that might go away tomorrow. But if you learn the, the foundational principles of a proper human diet and a proper human life that you'll learn from a conference like this, that's that's bedrock. No, and, and also it's in your nobody can ever take it away from you. Your Bitcoin might disappear tomorrow. Sorry, John, if you, I know you own some. But I promise the knowledge that you get from a conference like this, nobody can tax it. Nobody can take it away. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can ban it because they might ban it in modern society, but you still got it in here. Awesome. And that makes you that makes you resilient and anti-fragile in a way that nothing else does. I love it. I love it. I like that concept of anti-fragile too. I've been been working that in a lot. Yeah, even though Nassim Taleb blocked me on Twitter, I'm still <laughs> a great fan of his work and, and his work on anti-fragility and resilience. I think it's mandatory. Everybody needs to understand what it is, even though he blocked me. Right on. Well, it's definitely the anti-fragile diet that you've been promoting and bringing it back to human humankind's roots. So I appreciate you spending some time with us. We'd love to have you back again in the future. And I'm looking forward to seeing you here in Texas come uh, later in January. Absolutely. Thanks so much, John. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Ken Berry. You can find his work at drberry.com. That's drberry.com. Like I said, he'll be joining us for the Greater Reset 4 co-creation. The Greater Reset 4 co-creation. It's taking place in Bastrop, Texas, just a little bit east of Austin, January 18th through the 22nd, January 18th through the 22nd. You can head on over to livefree.academy slash TGR. That's livefree.academy slash TGR to learn more about getting tickets, about all the workshops, the community events, the meals. We're going to have Zuby performing uh, some rap for us. It's going to be a wonderful event. I hope that you'll consider joining us. Right now, we have a buy one, get one free special, so you can get together with someone else and get 50% off your ticket, basically. Or if you're coming in, you want to bring someone along, maybe you want to help them wake up or help them to overcome some anxiety and some dread they're experiencing in life. It's a very positive movement. It's not naive. We know that there's a problem going on in the world. We know there's some very evil people looking to control a lot of our lives, but we're focused on solutions. And whenever you actually get out there, get your hands dirty, start eating right, start coalescing with like-minded people, pulling the kids out of government school, living your best life, you experience freedom that you never thought possible. No matter what the bozos and clowns are doing in Davos, Switzerland, or in Washington, DC, we are uniting with our fellow free human beings to create a better world. And I very much would like for you to be a part of it. So head on over to livefree.academy slash TGR, livefree.academy slash TGR, and take advantage of this amazing opportunity to buy one ticket and get one free or buy two tickets and get two free, or maybe even three or four tickets and get three or four free. Uh, we look forward to seeing you out there. Again, this is John Bush with the Live Free Now Show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. We'll see you next time. Bye.